Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Welcome to Staying Connected, a podcast where I talk to other people about their stories with feds or vascular Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome. Hey everyone, and welcome back to Staying Connected. This is your host, Katie, and before we get into the show, I want to remind you that the views, information, and opinions in these podcasts are those of the individuals involved and do not represent the opinions of the Marfan Foundation. The Marfan Foundation is not responsible for and does not verify for accuracy any of the information contained in them, nor does the information constitute medical or other professional advice or services. This show is not produced by or affiliated with the Marfan Foundation or the VEDS movement. In our last episode, we talked to Samantha Archie, who was diagnosed with VEDS after surviving a uterine rupture during the delivery of her second child. In today's episode, we're going to talk to Tyler Farley, who was diagnosed with VEDS when he was 17 years old after a bowel perforation. The VEDS diagnosis explained many things for Tyler, including the early death of his father, but also was a really challenging diagnosis to get when he was about to go into college. Before we go over to the interview, if you want to support this show, consider joining my Patreon. For a few dollars a month, you can make sure this show continues to reach people around the world with real-life stories about beds. You can join the Patreon at patreon.com translucent1, and you can also support the show by sharing this podcast with people you know to help us raise awareness of beds around the world together. Thank you so much for your support, and a huge thanks to my current patrons who have already been supporting the show. My top-tier patrons are listed in the episode show notes. Okay, let's go to the interview. Hey, Tyler. Thank you so much for joining the podcast and sharing your story with Vads with everybody. Why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? You know, your name, where you're from, how old you are. Yeah. Yeah, thank you, Katie. Um, yeah, my name is Tyler Farley. I'm currently located in Raleigh, North Carolina, and I have beds. I've been diagnosed since 2014. So as, as everybody knows, it's been an up-and-down battle uh, with this, challenging and something very unexpected in my life. Yeah, how old were you when you were diagnosed? I was 17, just about to turn 18. How did that diagnosis come about? Where I'm located in Raleigh, I usually go to UNC Chapel Hill. Uh, that's what I was born at. My mother took me there all the time as a kid for many medical reasons. I had some issues, but it wasn't anything crazy to the point when I was 17. I had a small bowel perforation in my stomach, but I didn't know that for two weeks while being in the hospital. The team, the doctors are trying to figure out what's going on. They asked me questions to where did I eat a screw or nail or a piece of glass? And I said, why would I do that? But about a week and a half in, it, one of the small interns of that group of doctors really saw that I had club feet. As I mentioned before, I had issues growing up with my feet. So when I went to Chapel Hill, it's all my medical records. So they kind of 
took that into play and sat down about it. And a few days later, diagnosed me with vets. And that was very eye-opening to me. It kind of answered the questions I had during my life, but it doesn't really help moving forward. It just kind of tells me what's going on, but nothing I could do about it as of right now. So you were born with club feet. Mm. And then when you were 17, you had this, like, was it about, it was a bowel perforation or was it your stomach yes. that perforated? I'm pretty sure it was my bowel. Okay. And then they just kind of like put that together. Yes. When you were in the and, hospital. And then after doing that, they genetically confirmed it, that I had it. Okay. And a geneticist talked about it, but the same thing, they kind of just sent me home. Um, there's not much they can do other than me going in for regular scanning and whatnot, just to make sure. Yeah. So before this bowel perforation, when you were 17, like what was your, what was your normal life like? Well, I was a senior in high school. I played a lot of competitive sports as in soccer. I played golf. Soccer is probably the most rough of those. Um, I played pickup basketball, but I never got really serious to the point like soccer where I had club feet and I already had a disadvantage from everybody playing with that. But with the bruising came along with cleating and everything, everything seemed to be kind of abnormal from everybody else, but we didn't know. And I had to keep going. I didn't know the reason, but I was out for a few days or very, very sore and fatigued. Um, but and trying to keep up with just, you know, playing sports, I didn't think it would uh, was anything different from anybody. But then at 17 years old, randomly one day, I started having huge pain on my stomach um, to the point where I couldn't really move. It was just that painful I, in that position to get the most comfort I can. So took me to Chapel Hill and they it took hours for them to see me anyways because they didn't know what was going on. They ran the results hours later, admitted me. They didn't know what was going on. They just saw I had a really small hole in that area. And I didn't know the reason why it just kind of happened. And for the pain to just come up out of nowhere, they didn't really understand it either. So I know, I didn't know at the time. I didn't think anything at the time. I didn't understand it either, but you know, they had me on medicine. So I didn't really feel the pain. Um, the really thing that really sucked was, you know, just not eating or drinking. Um, that was something very new to me. I didn't really understand what's going on until two weeks later when they confirmed that you said it was a small bowel perforation so did you end up needing like a colostomy or anything or did that end up healing on its own with the supportive care it just healed itself i believe i never had something similar to that so i don't even i never had an aneurysm or anything that's related to beds yeah and that's just very triggering if i'm kind of expecting that but not knowing that's a huge factor with this but yeah um that was really a traumatic experience just because that was something out of the blue. Like I said, I was playing sports. I'm about to go to college the following in the next few months after being diagnosed. So everything just kind of hit at once. And, you know, it was, <laughs> I did not expect that, to be honest. I never heard of it. No, nobody hears of this. Right. So I have to explain it to everybody when I get back to trying to be a normal kid. And it's very challenging to do the factor in my daily life and explain just what it is. Mm-hmm. How did that, how did you deal with that as a 17 year old going it? Like you mentioned, like you were going to college in a few months and it really like changed things for you. How did you deal with that as a young adult? 
I wouldn't say I did it the best way. I kind of hid it from everybody. I I always accepted that I had this because, like I said, it kind of answered all my problems before. Um, when, you know, looking on Google, it kind of tells you the symptoms and it correlates to everything that I kind of went through growing up. But it was very hard to stay focused on school, trying to take care of my health, stress levels, social life, keeping up with my friends, doing things that I can't do with them. Especially, you know, like I said, I kept play sports all my life. That's the people I hang out with, especially going to college, meeting new people who also did that. But out of nowhere, I had this plan. I can't do that. You know, I told a few months ago, I was meeting people online. Like, hey, yeah, I'm about to join these club teams and everything when we get there. And then in the next few months, I'd say that I can't play at all. I'm not going to get a uh, physical cleared. I have to explain to each and every one of them what this is. Right. And even then, they just, you know, it didn't change anything as far as friends goes. But, you know, it's very challenging that I had to change that in the next few months. I was 17 years old, 18 years old with no really guidance on that or help. It's something I had to do on my own. Like you said, it's not, it wasn't easy for sure. It's something that I took on myself. I didn't really ask for help, but uh, it eventually worked itself out where I'm better now. I figured out how to be a little, you know, intuitive with it um, to keep going. Cause that's the only thing to do with this. How do you do that? Like, for example, this past weekend, I went, my buddies to the mountains we went did a bunch of stuff a bunch of stuff that probably doctors wouldn't approve of as far as like you know i went white water rafting and played golf but that's something i do as a young guy with beds because i figure out how to adjust my lifestyle with this without harming myself and i'm very cautionary with everything i do so that being outdoorsy and stuff like that i kind of just do it for now because if one of one days it's going to be to a point where i can't do it I'm going to be very tired. I'm not just, like I said, with club feet, it's already challenging. So I'm not sure how far my feet can make it to a certain age or whatnot. And also now that I got it down to my, my friends kind of somewhat understand mm-hmm. they, uh, we don't talk about it, but it's like, they know. So they don't ever leave me out of it or discourage me from some stuff. I kind of make that known, like, don't ever do that. But there's some things I have to step my back. Or, you know, and of course they understand, but, you know, as I said, I'm a young guy, um, I'm focusing now on my career. It's something I'm also still learning. I'm maturing and being an adult now, but that's as far as eight years in this diagnosis, it's something that I had to do myself to really keep going. Cause there was a certain time where I didn't really bring it up anybody or in my life and kind of just kept going but there's also a lot of health issues that of course I told my doctor and everything but I couldn't really bring that to everybody or talk about it so uh, it was something that I knew that I at least had to talk to somebody to make it better and just had that help there that's really what factored in where I am now Um, just letting it be known that there's nothing hiding it now I feel comfortable more. I know it does take some people time. It took me some time, but it just makes me feel better that at least some people understand and will kind of at least assist me in what I want to do in my life. And that's why I'm more focused now is just doing whatever I want to do in as much time as I can, with, no matter what factors or variables in front of me. Yeah. And I love that. Like you described, like you told your friends, like, don't 
kind of like don't place the limitations on me, like let me place those limitations. And I I think that's really kind of powerful to do that because it it keeps you in control of what you do, right? Like if people start saying like, oh, well, we're not going to invite you to do X, Y, Z because we know you can't do it. Well, I mean, I know I would like still go and watch other people do it even if I don't feel comfortable. It makes me feel part of it. Is that kind of like the mm-hmm. way you feel too? Exactly. Um, I never want to feel left out anyways, um, but to the point where it's just like beds blocking that out, like I'm never going to allow that to happen. Um, unless I'm in the hospital admitted and you know, that kind of sucks, but, um, I've been there and done that. So I don't want to be in that position again. It's going to probably happen, but I know that point, like I don't want to be stuck there, uh, or at least, you know, no, no regrets or anything. That's something I always saw because my father passed away from this as well. I wouldn't say he got confirmed from it. Um, but I was genetically confirmed and, it seems that it came from his line. Nobody else in my family has been diagnosed and he passed away at an early age from unexplained in 2006. So that's when I was 10 years old. Um, but it's just, it's crazy that I have to factor this now in my life a lot. Um, but I'm now more confident about it and at least bring it up. Yeah. Let's talk about your dad a little bit too. I'm glad mm-hmm. that you brought that up. So you were, what happened to your dad and you said you were 10? Yeah, so, and to this day, I still really don't understand the source of what happened, but the point is that one day he had to go to the hospital. He was bleeding from the inside, I believe, or something, and they took out most of his intestines at the small local hospital that he just was near. By the time they took it to a main hospital at the time, which was UNC, that's where he wanted to go to, they tried to adjust that, what they did, and they still didn't know the source, but then it was so much the complication of the surgery. About a month later, he passed away, um, and that's been unexplained. But then he did 20 years in the Army, went multiple tours and everything. So if he had beds, he would never have been in the Army in the first place. But I'm not saying that has something to do with it, but there's a lot of stuff that he kind of hid away from us, and he didn't go to the doctors as much. My mom kind of knew some stuff, but not really. He was very hard-headed. But there's definitely signs of that my mom obviously raised and carried me and seen it in me that she's seen in him. So it just made sense that there's a title or label to it now. And the doctors have also said that as well, that he probably, probably had it and passed it down to me. I'm also a twin. So it's 50-50 in that chance. And I'm the one that got it. She's fine. She got tested. She doesn't have it. What signs did he have? And that you both share, like with your mom, like noticing some similarities. What were those similarities? You know, I have like now kind of had this forever, like GI issues. I'm sure he had it as well. Uh, kidney stones. I kind of have get those a lot, no matter how much water I drink or even lemonade to help. My father seemed to have that problems as well. But like I said, I'll, I go to the doctor to get help for it. He never really did. That being said, I, we saw like, the same kind of deals like that with GI issues. Uh, I don't really remember bruising or anything because, you know, bruising with us pops out. You definitely can tell. And like I said, I was 10, so it's not really much I know versus yeah. like my mother. But even then, she just knows that he knew something mm-hmm. but never wanted to get checked. And 
I'm not sure because even back then they didn't even know what this was. They never seen it, you know, and that was the downfall for it. it just happened in a month so quick. And other than, you know, maybe fainting and passing out, I know I do that for some reason. I'm still trying to figure that out why that happens. You know, like I said, it's hard with no medical history or records for at least him other than what's in the army and the army just kind of, you know, as long as he passes, he's good. But that's about it. You know, uh, my other family members don't really have medical records from a small town as well. Yeah. So not really going to the doctors as much or for anything unless it was serious. And we asked everybody in our family, you know, is there anybody that died like unexpectedly or just never got a label to it? There was no one really, but that was, like I said, there's still no history like confirmed. Yeah. So at least I know now and moving forward, you know, maybe focus on relationships and stuff, but still like focus on you know, maybe having kids down the road as something that like you have to talk about serious mm-hmm. um, because I, sh- I don't want to pass this down. There is methods, you know, that I heard of to have kids mm-hmm. without vets, but um, that's complicated as well. But that being said, it's, that's something at like twenties, like low twenties. I never thought to be thinking about, Right. you know, I just, I went to school, I wanted to go to school and I went, went to school and now my career. And that's, that's what vets had to, I had to adjust to that because unexpectedly, but I, I mean, I, I'm doing all right, I guess, but, um, it's, as I said, with no guidance and stuff, it, it kind of just, it's very tough. There's something to go through someone, especially someone of my age. Um, and I'm not saying any other age difference, but what all the factors we got going on, oh, yeah. um, I'm not, not settling my feet in anywhere. So, and I'm still that way to the private of that. It's, it's tough, really tough. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a, it sounds like a very difficult age to get this diagnosis, like right on. It's not like you got it earlier and you could kind of like adjust your expectations of not expectations, but you know, your trajectory or like your interests, like, you know, you as a 17 year old got really invested in a lot of these like sports and activities that you enjoyed. And then all of a sudden it just kind of felt like they were taken away and it changes like your whole like expectation for college and what that's going to be like. And then now you're like mid twenties, right? I think or early twenties. Yeah. I'm 26. Okay, so mm-hmm. mid-20s, and you're dating, and you're thinking about your future, and it's just, it's so messy, like, VEDS is so messy to deal with, no matter what age you understand, like, there's going to be these things that you deal with, no matter what age you're diagnosed, and what your mm-hmm. history is, as you pointed out, but it is, I mean, that is a challenging age to get this diagnosis, and a challenging thing to navigate in the dating world, too, I'm sure. How have you yeah. handled that in dating? Yeah, so I kind of stayed away from that. I didn't really focus on, because for me, it was like, hey, I, I'm a toddler, you know, and then get to know somebody. It's like, hey, I also have beds. Or when do I say that? Or I don't want to, you know, leave somebody else on, especially about the kid. I'm not talking about like, oh, right away, I want to have kids with somebody, but it, I'm dating on somebody relationship wise. So that being said, if that's something they're thinking about, I have to let them know. 
until that conversation happens. But until then, I kind of stayed away because I've already been through so much. I don't want to kind of really deal with it. It was better for me to fly away than risk it. And I got comfortable in that where, okay, there's not really going to be a lot of people that understands this. And for those that are around, they do understand. So I got to at least accept that. And that's where it was challenging, not only dating, but just meeting people, especially college where I was at. A lot of people from a lot of people, different areas, a lot of people would come and go. There wasn't much time to explain to everybody. Hey, this is beds. This is like, be careful. Right. <laughs> but, um, you know, especially as like, you know, boys, as, as a kid growing up, you know, roughhousing and stuff, you know, I didn't know the reasons why I may have a little more bruising. Like my friend, like, you know, growing up, it's like my friend's parents, like, he hit him or something. Like, what was that? Like, bruising. <laughs> He's like, I didn't hit him hard. He's like being honest. So I'm like, yeah, he didn't hit me hard. I don't know. <laughs> right. And stuff like that. I mean, that's the simple stuff that you can joke about with beds that uh, that's kind of unexplained. But until you diagnosed, then back then I didn't have an explanation. It just kind of happened. You know, getting to the age of 20, you know, everybody's, you know, like having fun times and stuff, keeping up, doing like, especially where I was at, it was a lot of walking that I, you know, try to keep up. And, you know, I'll be, you know, the next few days just trying to, rest myself out from fatigue from base like simple basic stuff that anybody should be able to do so i had to i would say like double time the, my efforts a lot just to keep up mm-hmm. especially being a college kid you know late night outs hanging out with people then studying in school focusing on that and trying to monitor my stress levels for my heart because that was the main thing my you know i, I really got really in touch with my vascular doctor He's the one that set up my scans for me and everything. So we talk a lot. Um, with that being said, I was he didn't really know how to explain either how, how to what I should do because he was the only one I was really seeing at, when I was younger after being diagnosed. And I was asking him, like, I mean, I was really going to go to school to like be in dentistry or something. And to do that, you get the you know, undergrad and you know, something random subject in science mm-hmm. and do well to get into these schools. And I had to focus that first semester and it was not that I couldn't do it. I had to focus on my health and I had to change the game plan. I had to find somewhere that, that made sense to me that wasn't worth, worth stressing about mm-hmm. and I can easily do. And I was focused on maybe getting a career because at 18 years old, they're telling me, make sure you have your health insurance and everything. Cause I was good under my mom until I'm 26 now. Mm-hmm. So I had to focus on, okay, I got to get some money. Or something, because the healthcare, this, uh, get a good insurance, get a good job, stuff like that. I had to focus my mindset on that and do good at it to be where I wanted to. Because now that where I'm at, yeah, I got a desk job, but that right. I couldn't do something like hard labor or something that would mentally drain me to the point where it's affecting me physically. I had to really narrow that down. I was in and out of my advisor's office, and they were trying to help me, but I was like, "Look, I know you don't know this." what to do no one really knows what to do yeah i just need some kind of guidance on what do you think i should do so i went to school for business and in finance and it worked itself out to where i found something where i'm comfortable i got good insurance and you know i'm taking care of myself and that was where i wanted to do when i was 18 19 years old going to school yeah so with that in that time frame of having beds a lot of stuff happened but i kept going and that was the biggest thing for me was to stay mentally strong. Mm-hmm. 
with this. I mean, that's like a, such a different perspective from an 18-year-old, I think, than most 18-year-olds like going into college and just like trying to figure out their, I mean, really there's so much in college. I changed my major like every semester, you know, but to have that kind of foresight that you had to know that you needed to find something early on where you could get health insurance and like have a long-term game plan that is so to, it's such a mature line of thinking to expect from an 18 year old, I guess is mm -hmm. what I'm trying to say. I mean, that is like something that I don't think most 18 year olds go into thinking about. And know? I was 18 year old and still to this day, I don't drink coffee or caffeine. That's just something, you know, maybe in some soda or something, but I'm not drinking it in the morning. Like yeah. most people do, they get a routine going mainly because of my health, but mainly something that, you know, I just wake up and go now because I don't mind sleeping, but the fact that, okay, if I just sleep or do something lazy, then I'm missing out on things I could be doing. Mm -hmm. And that's what I, I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I have my lazy days and stuff, but I don't want to waste time. And that's something that I kind of make known with people that look like, I know you may have all the time, but you don't know you're just chilling, but I don't, I don't want you wasting my time. I'll be patient, but I've been I'm patient enough to a point where, okay, like you don't understand, like, and there's nothing that I can do to make them understand. But that's something that kind of triggers me with this is, you know, wasting time because that's time that I didn't get with my dad that he didn't get to have, but I knew everything he did to that point. He had, I know at least that he had no regrets, but that's something where I have to do now to get ahead or do what I want mm -hmm. until that day happens or something. And that's something that I accepted a while back because I was really mad that I had this when I got diagnosed. I didn't know how to handle this. I had a lot of emotions. Um, it was very tough. So looking back on how you dealt with that and that time of your life when you were diagnosed, what kind of advice would you give to somebody who's going through that in their late teens you know, early adulthood. Just keep going. I always saw that, you know, there's only one way up from the bottom. That's pretty much what I saw when I got diagnosed. Like, I don't know where, but if that's what the problem is, and I've worked my life around, I adjusted, it's going to take some time to do that. And I've done this pretty much all by myself. Um, I didn't really have any help, and especially emotionally. It sucked not having someone there, but, and I have a great, like I have friends and family, but there's some things that, you know, you just can't talk to somebody about. They're not going to understand or it's very tough. And I know most, some people are the same way where they don't have that person or just somebody to talk to, but it's good to uh, seek for advice, especially for your health concerns. I mean, I, I go to my doctors for everything. And that's something that I, from day one was also make sure that I, Cause I was 17. I was turning from pediatric to being an adult. I had to do that on my own. And that was, you know, about to get ready to freshman in college and do that. That was, <laughs> that was something out of nowhere too, but it's a lot of things that there may not be that guidance there and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Like I said, I don't know what I did to make it better for me. Really. Like, I don't have a game plan. It just kind of settled itself. Um, but eventually I always say like things work themselves out to, if you, you know, want to do something or 
like, you know, you think about it too much. And that's what I'm saying. Thinking is terrible with this. I think about it every day. It's in the back of my mind. And I want it out, but I can't. It's going to be there. Like, the good thing is to stay positive. Get that game plan going. And as long as you have that, then you can work something out where you can feel a little better. And that's, just, that's another thing, like, uh, talking to somebody else about because they can't really understand. Like, I don't know. I was hurting 30 minutes ago. Now it's I'm good. <laughs> right. Yeah. So do you find benefit in talking to other people with vets? I do. Um, I guess the best way to talk about this is uh, where I started with this. So when I was diagnosed, I, reached, I didn't really reach out, but I tried to do some stuff on my own, like read up about it. But there wasn't much, you know, saying, like, here's how to do it, how to deal with this. It was just like information. It's like, okay, we know what happens. Like, I know what's going to happen, I guess. But that, that was 2014. And then as the years gone by, I guess I saw the EDS site. Um, and that's where I kind of got really disfocused on because they had subjects for vets, but it wasn't like so, like solely focused on vets. It was just like a little subgroup of it. And then I just eventually reached out and I don't know what the link was or whatever. I just, just kind of explained like, Hey, I got bed. I need help. Like, I don't, I don't know anybody. I would like to meet people. And that took uh, 2020. So about six years for me to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, right when COVID hit. Uh, it was something that I took upon. I was like, okay, um, I really need at least to talk to somebody with this. I need to do my best right now, especially since we're at the time we were all locked down. I was mentally draining mm-hmm. during that time. Um, so I think uh, there was some some link on the UDS site, and they connected me with uh, Shani. And she said we had that group meeting, and that's where we met all y'all and everything else. And that was awesome, like, because that was the first time in my life in six years with this, that I met somebody just like me with vets and talking to them. And and that was really exciting for me to just have that moment to talk to you guys. Um, anything about vets, I got a lot more information. And it eventually led me to finding out about the Facebook group. And that was really great to go on there because the first time you know I got accepted, it was great to see that there's people just like me even though it may not be a lot but it was great to see that there's some community there that at least have some resource just to click away on my phone that I didn't have the last eight years or at least I didn't think I I had and I'm not sure that was just because you know my doctors weren't informed or there may not be that kind of awareness but I don't know um but it did took that time for them to give me that resource because that's something that I really needed. Um, I would say probably onset with being diagnosed. So do you think that getting connected earlier with the community would have been helpful for you? If you had been Yes. Ready? And I wouldn't say like I would have been all over there on that, yeah. but at least have that kind of as a resource. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, just know that is there. Cause I'm not sure how long that's been open for. But I know I'm very late. I could have been you know, it's been, I was on Facebook back then too. It's just like, oh, it's been there the whole time. Like just knowing that you're not alone, that's the biggest thing. Yeah. It's a really isolating condition to be diagnosed with and to go through all of those feelings alone. And then, you know, there's something really, I mean, I truly believe there's something incredibly special about connecting with somebody else who's affected by 
the same condition that you are. And it's just like immediate connection and is very helpful for, for, you know, for many, many reasons, but for also the reason of just feeling like you're not the only one in the world diagnosed with this that you're ever going to meet. Yeah. It's such an incredible feeling. You mentioned the, you know, your doctors not knowing much about this. So in general, what would you want medical professionals to know about VEDS? There's a lot of doctors who do, and medical students, I think, who listen to this podcast. That's, I would say what really led to my diagnosis was someone was listening in class. And remember that. It took that one slip to my guest for him to notice. And wouldn't say like it helped my life, but it answered a lot of questions. And it took that person to just... <laughs> think about it for a second it's like hold on they're teaching it and that's awesome that they are at least somewhere wherever he went to school the one thing i guess i would like them to do is just like help the best you can with the resources you have i have to be ready to go to the er and i have to know i know the difference to the pain i get versus the time i had a perforation so i had that at least but it just, it really is troubling to where I know that I have to search everywhere around me, wherever I go, to, to see the best look, the hospital in the area. The time for me, to, for me to get checked in anywhere, for me to understand, like, hey, I know you can't see what's going on, but I know what's going on. Like, I, I need an MRI or a CAT scan. I need you to do something now, not have me sitting here for four hours in somewhat pain. I don't want, I don't expect, like, better care than other people in there. But at the same time, like, we can't really wait with these kind of things. It's very serious. And I don't know what else to do other than kind of tell whoever's helping me, like, hey, I have, like, please look. I have my mantra ready to go and everything. Like, I don't know what else to do. And I'd be patient. But it's really troubling that I can't go in and mm-hmm. have to wait hours. And I'm in pain. And then finally someone's like, oh, like, and they keep passing to somebody else. Like, who knows about this? Right. And by the time I get somebody in, it's like top, it's been hours. Right. So then it's really that general awareness of beds and the emergencies and yeah. just growing that network of physicians that do know about this to where it reaches the rural areas and you feel safe going to a hospital no matter where you are, knowing that you can get care. Is that fair? Yes. And it's just that. You know, I know they see a lot of people and come there and say whatever, but like I'm telling the truth and I don't know what else to show you that I had this and that time is sensitive depending on the situation. But it's just very troubling that I have to go do that every time, like in the middle schools and everything, just kind of elaborate more. Mm-hmm. Well, I hope that your story can help reach somebody who is dealing with this, especially if they're you know, diet, there was a lot of stuff that you shared that I think that'd be really helpful for younger, younger adults who are just going through this and trying to navigate all of this. And I really hope that that, that this interview really reaches them and can help them navigate that mm-hmm. as well as continue to grow the awareness of VEDS overall. So thank you so much for coming onto the show and sharing your story. I really appreciate it. Of course. And that's what I want to do is just tell my part of my diagnosis, but really truly tell what I've been doing, at least what kind of helps for me. I know everybody says like, it's going to get better with technology advancing and, you know, education on it. 
but hopefully we get to that point. It may not be in my time, but it may be, in, you know, I see with the groups we're seeing in awareness, a lot of young kids are being diagnosed and confirmed. And I would say it's good that they know just because a lot of stuff's going to happen to them that unexplained, but they're going to need some help. And there's going to be a lot of kids going through exactly what I went through, but at least they have an answer for it or not really an excuse, but just a label or term for it. I didn't have that. So at least there's that, but I mean, hopefully down the road, they get the proper care and get a better situation. Cause I know I'm still figuring out that as well. Yeah. And I feel like I'm in a good, decent area to be taken care of. Um, so I'm just struggling for now, but hopefully others will feel the same way and take initiative to find out the resource because it's right. At this point, I realize now it's just, it's a click away. If you really want to find that out, it's there. Yeah, it's there. And the, and the resources are growing. And so truly, hopefully, fingers crossed, the future will look much different for those kids as they reach into adulthood. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm just, I'm like hopeful for the future, you know? Yeah, they told me, you know, because what I, the first thing I looked up was the life expectancy of this. Yeah. You know, I'm seeing 40 years old and that's why I kind of tell myself, okay, I got till then. My dad was 38. If I got till then, now that I know this, then I'm going to do what I want. But at the same time, they're telling me that it could be like 50, it could be 60. It, it could, could be. be. It could be, and that's where that's where I, I took that really um, to my back of my mind. Like, okay, it could be there, but I'm not going to let that change what I'm going to want to do. But right. just know that if I at least take proper care of myself, uh, seek the resources, go on appointments, all that good stuff, and good health, then at least I know that I did what I'm doing now to help me out and maybe help others as well. But as long as I do that, then there's not much else to do other than keep going yeah just kind of wait for it I guess but and it's like a, it's a challenging thing to know about yourself but it does yeah. provide some power like if you know like you know the pain that's associated now with the bowel perforation and you know when you need to go to the hospital and you know you need to advocate for yourself to get through that ER and you know you might not always be successful in that but the the knowledge you know is a really powerful tool that you have now you know you know when Mm -hmm. you need to be life lighted somewhere else and I think that a lot of the data truly is skewed towards people who maybe didn't know or when they had their first emergency and didn't make it and it's also skewed towards people who had this like more severe presentation so I think if they personally I think if they did another survey on what it what those numbers would really look like now, they might be much different than they were mm-hmm. when those numbers were published because more and, people are getting diagnosed younger, people with null mutations are getting diagnosed. Like as the awareness grows, we're gonna see more and more people who are not on the severe end of the spectrum and it's important to to be able to look at that whole picture. Mm-hmm. And that picture's gonna change as we yeah. learn more. You know, and it's a it's a exciting thing to to learn more and go into the future but mm-hmm. you know thank you thank you again tyler so much for for being a part of this yeah. and being a part of this of course movement. yeah it's very exciting to be here i appreciate you taking the time absolutely all right we'll talk soon okay bye
Thanks everyone for tuning in today, and thank you, Tyler, for sharing your story with us. On the next episode, on November 26th, we'll talk to Kelly Gann, who was diagnosed with FEDS back in 2009. Don't forget to subscribe to Staying Connected on your podcast player so you don't miss any future episodes. And if you like this show, I hope you will consider sharing it with your friends on social media to help us raise awareness of Eds together. You can also support the production of this podcast by joining my Patreon at patreon.com slash translucent1. Thank you so much, and I will see you soon. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.